This morning's scripture comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. And the Apostle Paul wrote, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You can have a seat. I want to open us up just a, uh, another word of prayer this morning as we get started. Let's pray with me. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that we can come before you. We thank you that you did not leave us alone that while we are sinners and while we rejected you, you loved us enough to send your Son. You loved us enough to reconcile us to yourself. That you knew that we were, that we were weak and frail. That as your creatures we were created to live in communion with you. And that because of our sin we could not. Father, we thank you that you loved us enough to take on our sin. As Paul says, as you declare to us that Christ became sin for us so that we might be reconciled to you. And Lord, now as we get to approach your word, as we get to look at this gift that you have given us, the Bible, I pray that we would look at it as, as the gift of what it is. It's the hope that we can have communion with you. It's the hope that we can interact with you, that we can have intercession with you, that we can know you. So, Father, I pray this morning as we open your word, as we get to look at it, as we get to glory, as our minds get to be blown with the fact that you did not leave us alone, but that you loved us enough to give us the instruction that we need, Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves before you, recognizing that we are your creatures and that you are our creator. That the only hope that we have is is to know you in life. In your son's name, amen. Well, first, if anyone is hot in here, we've opened up the windows and we have some uh, organic air conditioning. So if you're hot or cold and you're by a window, you have the freedom to adjust the temperature as you you would like. Standing here in the front row, I I was realizing it was rather warm in here. Over the past couple of months... I have had, uh, I've taken the opportunity to read through the pastoral epistles. That's First and Second Timothy and Titus. The reason I've done that is because it, it, Paul was writing to a pastor, was writing to a young pastor, was writing to two pastors who were trying to build up and create their church, both in Ephesus with First Timothy and uh, with Titus. And the reason I've been reading through it is because as a young pastor, I've often stepped back and said, what am I supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to be emphasizing? What am I supposed to be looking at? Where should I place my time? And 
First Timothy, First and Second Timothy and Titus has been a huge gift to me to just be able to focus and orient my time and energy as a young pastor. As I've been reading through the pastoral epistles, something has jumped out at me, though. Something that I continually see Paul emphasizing. And I think that we can best see this in 2 Timothy. He's constantly emphasizing the importance of the word. I just want to go through, I want to pull out some verses from each of the chapters as we look through 1 Timothy. It starts in chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. He says this, this is Paul's exhortation to to uh, Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Then he jumps into chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Remind them of these things. Charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Then we get to the section of Scripture that we just read this morning, 3.14-16. through 16. As for you, continue what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing, that, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, for all Scripture is breathed out by God. We're going to come back to this and so I'll stop there. Then finally, chapter 4. I charge you, the presence of God in Christ, this is verses 1 and 2, who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appealing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Prove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. It's very clear after reading through the pastoral epistles and as I said, especially First Timothy, that... Paul wants Timothy to do nothing else than look at the Word of God and proclaim it. As I've been thinking about that in my life, I really have been uh, considering that as we've come to this uh, season and this time of the year. One of the words that surrounds us during this season, it surrounds us always during the season, is resolutions, right? We all make our resolutions. We all set out to do the things that we want to do better in life. All of our conversations, I know my social media has been filled with I resolve to do this, and I want to do that, and I want to lose 20 pounds and run an ultra marathon and read a thousand books. I mean, there are lofty resolutions out there. There's nothing wrong with them. I know that some pastors and some sermons will go on and on about the, 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 the dangers and the woes of a resolutions. I don't exactly fall on that side. I definitely am, am one who has uh, taken the time to kind of uh, resolve to do certain things. But I've recently come to see the habit of change which is what resolutions are really focused on, the habit of change, through a different lens. And so this morning, I want to offer a different word. You see, resolution is an anticipation towards a better life. It's why we make these resolutions. That's why I think that it, it naturally comes up in January, and then I know in my own life, I, I, I have another cycle that comes up at, with the beginning of the school year. Because there's the oddest week of the year that we all just went through. The week between Christmas and New Year's. Like, I spent the entire week going, is it Sunday? Am I supposed to be preaching? What's going on? Is this, what's, what's happening here? What day of the week is it? When do I go back to work? What's supposed to happen? And it allows all of us to kind of hit a moment of pause, to stop. And what happens when we hit that moment of pause and stop? We start to consider to our life, how's life going? How are things working out? We start to 
feel in our soul some things should be better than they are. And out of that, we can make resolutions. We, we can hope that towards a better life. But what happens when we make these resolutions? Well, January 30th comes, or maybe February 15th, or maybe January 2nd comes, and we break those resolutions. And what happens when you break a resolution? Well, we say, well, that's over. I'm going to go back to the way that I was normally operating. Well, I want to offer a different word, and I promise this is going to come back to Scripture. Instead of resolution, I've been looking through the lens of rhythm. You see, rhythm is a pattern. It's a tempo. It's a flow. But when a rhythm is disrupted, it's easy to think, not all is lost, I'm going to go back to my normal operating procedure. When a rhythm is disrupted, we think, I need to get back in the rhythm of things. I need to get back in the flow of things. I need to adjust my life back to where it worked out better in my life. So we have these rhythms. Now, our lives are shaped by rhythms. And it's shaped by rhythms because these rhythms determine who we are in life. It affects how we carry ourselves in life. It regulates how we go about our days. These rhythms are these constant understreams of thought in our life. If I spend enough time with you, and you spend enough time with me, you can very easily pick up these rhythms. These rhythms show us and others how we conduct ourselves, the actions and the priorities that we are truly concerned about. Here's the thing. Here's why I start with all this. I know it's like stereotypical January sermon. I know. I'm just going to lean into it. I have a rhythm that I am jealous for you to have. I have something that I know that you need in your life. And I know that you need it in your life because I need it in my life. And I know that I need it in my life because without it, my rhythms are off and I am a train wreck. And that rhythm that I'm jealous for you to have is to have a consistently, is to be consistently focused on the Word of God. I know, I'm that stereotypical pastor, January 1, saying, oh my goodness, consistently focused on the Word of God. I want to focus in on that wording slightly. I could have said the rhythm that I want you to have is for you to be reading the Word of God. But focusing on the Word of God is more than just reading. I could have said I want you to be memorizing the Word of God. But again, memorizing, focusing is more than, more than memorizing. I could have said that I want you to be studying the Word of God. All of those things are good. But I feel like reading, studying, and memorizing is more like resolution language. Like, let's be honest, the moment that we break our Bible reading plan for the year, what do we do? We stop. That's why I've read Genesis I don't know how many times in my life. Because I get halfway through Genesis and I'm like, well, I missed that day, and then I missed the other day, and then I missed the other day, so why don't I just stop and pick up somewhere else? Because it's a resolution type language. It's this idea of once I break it, I should just go back to my normal operating procedure. But I want us to have a rhythm of being focused on the Word of God. So my prayer for myself this year, and for all of us, is that we are centered on the Word of God. It is the only hope that we have in life and death is to know Jesus Christ and to know the Word that He has given to us. Now here is what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. And I'm just going to lay all my cards out on the table. I'm going to unapologetically have this style of sermon. I know some of you might be rolling your eyes like, oh dear Lord, another pastor, another, a, another resolution sermon. But I think it's important. And so I want to describe the why behind this appeal. The why behind 
why I have this urgency of my own, so for all of us to have this rhythm while focusing on the Word of God. And here's the why. We live in a crazy and a confusing world. All of us. The news, our social media feeds, our hearts, our ambitions, our families, our discussions at lunch, our coworkers, all of this stuff is so confusing because it's tainted by brokenness and sin. We can all live, live our lives and wonder what is going on. I, you know, we've, we've felt this. We are asked to affirm and deny these statements that the world just throws at us on a regular basis. We're pulled in so many different directions. We could spend the rest of our lives going after and fighting for battles of truth, trying to put stakes in the ground. This is right and wrong. And it can be confusing and exhausting. I mean, even over the last several years alone, so many discussions, so many decisions, so many conversations, life-altering conversations have taken place. I've seen them in this, con- in this congregation alone, out- outside of just the regular world. I mean, these truly either-or discussions that are life-altering, job-altering, family-altering, marriage-altering, children-altering, faith-altering. And it leaves us in these moments grasping for what's true. Grasping for us to find the solid ground, not the sandy ground that's shifting with every wind and doctrine, with every wave, but solid ground for us to say, what is absolutely true? What is right and wrong? Where can I put my stakes in the ground and say that it will never move? Because I, I maybe you can agree with me, but I feel like what's true today is not going to be true tomorrow. What's right today is not going to be right tomorrow. One sentence, one phrase, one thought, one idea that we can all agree upon today will wait 12 minutes. And then it's going to be wrong. And so it's left me going, what is true? What is right? What is ultimate? What is the authority that I need? And that brings us back to the Bible. I know that we normally have uh, expositional sermons here, so if this is your first time here, I see some new faces. Welcome. This is not a normal sermon for Community Bible Church. Definitely not for me. I am most comfortable opening up a text of Scripture and expounding upon it. We're going to get there, I promise. We will expound Scripture this morning. But I want to take some time and have an introduction to the Bible. Because as I said, I have a desire for us. I want us to, I, I, I want to, to urge us, I want to press us, I want to exhort us to pay attention to the ultimate source of truth that is at our disposal, and that is the Word of God. So I want to do something. I want to talk about the Bible for a minute. I know we, we, we talk what's in the Bible. I want to talk about the Bible. On a human level, there have been a lot of great and wonderful human authors that have written a lot of wonderful books that have helped tons of audiences. But not every book is helpful to every person. One of the books that might speak to you isn't, isn't going to speak to me. And, and a book that speaks to me is not going to speak to you. Maybe you're going to get to a point where I say, you should read this book. And you'll be like, that doesn't really do anything for me. Recently, over the break, I opened up a book that, I had, been, that had been sitting on my shelf for several months. I think three or four months. I, I, I heard it recommended on a podcast. I'm a little bit of a podcast junkie. I probably have a problem, but I'm going to keep going anyway. Um, and it was like, you should read this book. So what do I do? I order this book. So that's why I have like stacks of books that I need to read, and then I just keep buying more books. It's a problem, admitting it's the first step of actually dealing with it. I got this book like three, four months ago, and I, I hadn't opened it up. Well, in, in this break it, break, it finally came to the top of the pile. I said, okay, I'm going to read that. And I sat down at, at the beginning of the 
Christmas break, and I read the foreword. And the foreword was the author describing why he wrote the book. The life circumstances that brought him to a point of, of taking the time to flesh out these ideas and package it and offer it to his uh, fellow pastors. It was a pastor book. And as I was reading it, I was struck by something. This book was specifically written for me. The reason that I would say that it was explicitly written for me, not because this guy knows me at all, not because he, he even wrote it with me in mind, but because his struggles are frankly my struggles at the moment. His needs are my needs. His questions are my questions. And I pray his victories will be my victories. As, that, as I read this book, I went, I need this. This book is explicitly for me in this time in my life. I'm so thankful that I opened it up and I've been just diving into it this whole break and have been loving it. But I know I could hand you this book. And you could open it up and read that same forward and be like, that's great, Ryan, who cares? I'm glad that that spoke to you, it didn't speak to me. I'm glad that you found that that was interesting. It had nothing, had nothing to do for me. And so you just put it on yourself. But guess what? When I get to talk about the Bible, when I get to look at this book, when we get to talk about these 66 books and this information and, 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 and this detail, what I get to say is that this book is not only for me because it's changed my life, but this book is for you. Because this book, this, these collection of words, these authors, this message was explicitly written for you. I know that we're all different. All have different backgrounds. All have different struggles. All have different phases of life. It's for you. The struggles that you have, this book speaks to. The questions that you're answering, this book answers. The hopes that you're looking for, this book offers you. Again, I don't know where you are in life, but I can say that. Empirically, absolutely, this book is for you. Here's why. We live in an age of information overload. Just look on Amazon. I don't know how many books are there. I didn't do that research. Uh, millions. Millions. I wonder if, if we have reached the billion number limit on books. If you want to figure out how you can, I, you know, fill in the blank, be an organic chicken farmer living in the southeast, I'm picking stuff off the top of my head now, there's probably going to be a book about that that you can go read that, that information on. But again, those books are not for everyone, but you know what those books all have in common? It all tells you something that you need to do. If you're looking for a book that's going to help fix your life, you can find it, but it's going to be through imperatives. Do this and don't do that. Resolve to do it this way and resolve not to do it that way. It's all resolution-based. But the Bible's different. And here's why. The Bible is not focused primarily on doing. Hear that. The Bible is not primarily focused on doing. If you're reading the Bible and you're reading it through the lens of doing. What do I need to do to be happy? What do I need to do to find hope? What do I need to do to be... Fill in the blank. You're going to miss the point of the Bible. The Bible is not primarily a book about doing. The Bible is primarily focused on being. See, the beauty of the Bible is that it tells us what it means for us to be human. It talks to us about our struggles 
about our shame, about our weaknesses, about our longings, about our needs. It points to us what's most important of all. It points us to how we can be reconciled to a holy God and be saved. It, it, it answers the question that the deepest longing in our souls, something is off and I need to figure that out. That's what this book talks about. No other book does that. Every other book, again, resolution-based, doing. What does this book talk about? It talks about being. That book that I picked up at, at, at the beginning of this Christmas break, and I sat down and went, wow, Lord, this book is written for me. We can pick up this book every single day. During any trial, any phase of life, any moment, and pick it up and go, wow, Lord, this is a book about me. This book declares what our rhythms in life should be, going back to that word. It confronts our weaknesses head on. And it doesn't confront our weaknesses by saying, you need to do X, Y, and Z to accomplish a test, to overcome those weaknesses. No, it offers us a message of hope. You're broken. And it's not do this to fix it. It's rather, you're broken. Look to Christ, who is the perfect one. It's brutally honest about our struggles and our pain. That's why it can be difficult to read this book because it confronts, its message confronts us to our core. I don't like what it says about me. I wish that I could stand up here as a pastor and say, I'm a pretty darn good guy. What's the Bible do? It says, no, everyone is a sinner and broken. None righteous, no, not one. There are none who seek after God. That's a brutal reality, but outside of the brutal outside of that brutal reality and that honesty, it also has a message of hope and declares the remedy for it all. I know that this sounds like a, a lofty and high claim. I know that some of you in this room right now are going, I, I, I know this, and, and, I, and I rejoice in that, but I think at times we need to be reminded of the gift that we're holding. We need to be reminded of, of how precious this thing is that I, I know I have a lot of Bibles. I haven't counted them. It's in the teens. And then all of you have a Bible on your phone. We have this, we have this, this gift at our disposal, and yet we don't use it. One of the blessings that this book is, is that it is the ultimate authority. As I said, we, we get so tangled up in trying to figure out what's right and wrong, which direction we should go, what statements we should affirm, what we should and should not do, and at times it can be really confusing. We can wonder what's, which path should we go on. And what we get to declare this morning, what I can declare this morning, is that the path that we get to go on is the Bible. This past year, just to illustrate this, I read a, a couple of books, not spiritual books at all. This was kind of my personal time walking my dog, audio book, and I read two books. One was on sleep. The book was called Why We Sleep. I wanted to dig into some sleep, try to figure out what that's all about. It's like this really weird thing that happens to us all that we go into this like coma every day and we wake up and we feel better. I don't know. It's kind of, so I, I went, I did some research and and out of that, had some fascinating conversations and details come out of it. And uh, one of the things that came out of this book was the danger of caffeine, specifically coffee. Went on and on about how you have to use this coffee in the right way as Damien raises up his coffee cup. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go into the details of this book because it doesn't matter for the sermon, but, but basically it's looking at what coffee does to your brain and how it blocks certain, I don't know things in your body so you are tired but don't feel tired. I don't go read the book if, 
if, if you want to read it. And so I, I got done reading that book and I said, okay, coffee, limit it, bad thing, shouldn't have it, whatever. Then I read the second book. The second book was on ADHD 2.0. Probably have ADHD, just wanted to do some research on it. One of the things this book said, the gift of coffee. You should drink coffee because of what it does to your body and it blocks certain reactors and your body feels certain ways and like you should drink coffee. And I like told Amy, I was like, I don't want to do. One says don't drink coffee. One says do drink coffee. Who's right? Both are doctors. Both are accredited. I'm sure it's great information. What should I do? And I'm left with this thing of like, should I go this way or that way? I feel that in life all the time. What should I believe? What should I hold as true? What should I put my stock in? What should I ground my feet and say, this is right. This is never going to change. The research is never going to be proved wrong on this. The answer that I have is the Bible. That's why I say I want us to have a constant focus towards the Word of God. Because I've seen in life in my own life, and I'm sure in your life, where we can have these moments of doubt, when we can be on these waves and we can be questioning what is going on, and we start looking for experts, do we not? We start Googling, what should I do here? We start listening to podcasts, I'll indict myself, reading books, good things, all good things. I'm not throwing those under the bus, but what I'm ashamed of in my own life And what I think we need to be reminded of, which is why I'm doing this now, is that my first stop hasn't been the Word of God. And why do I say that the Word of God needs to be the first stop? Because the Bible is our absolute and primary authority. It gets to be the trump card for everything else. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. If the Bible says it's good, it's good. If the Bible says it's right or wrong or black or white, the Bible gets the last word. Why is that? Because the Bible is the only book that is written not from human hands, but from God. That's why we started with 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 this morning. As I said, we're going to get some exposition. When Paul is looking toward, and when Paul is, is, is mentoring and discipling Timothy here, when he, is, when he is passionate about this church growing, where does he point them towards? He doesn't point them towards, follow everything that I've said. No, he points them towards, follow what the Word of God has said. I just want to read again the passage that I do want to look at briefly this morning. I know we, we have uh, just a limited time here, but 3.15. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And why can Paul say, point to these sacred writings, why can he have all of this weight laid on, on, on this collection of Scripture? Why can we, now that the canon of Scripture has been closed, after the fact, and I can stand up here and have a whole sermon on the importance of the Word of God, why can I say focus on this? Because all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is profitable for teaching. All Scripture is profitable for reproof. All Scripture is profitable for correction. All Scripture is profitable for training and righteousness. 
and when you apply all of these things, when you apply the Word of God, the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This book is unlike anything that we have ever picked up. See, this book is more than just a book that's breathed out by God. If you stop there, it would be amazing. This book is a living book. This book is is a special book. Dare I say, a magical, supernatural book. Here's how the sermon writer of Hebrews says it. This is 4, 12-13. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing the division of soul and spirit and the joints of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This book will cut you open, turn you inside out, evaluate who you are down to your very core being, and offer you hope there. We have to walk around in life hiding our brokenness. Hiding our shame. The first illustration of that is the clothes that you put on this morning. I've been thinking about shame recently. Adam and Eve in the garden. Lost it for us all. Sin. How were they before sin? Naked and unashamed. I mean, I, that's, how you, that's hard to contemplate at this moment. Naked and unashamed. What happened the moment that they sinned? They hid themselves. They sewed fig leaves. They tried to cover their own shame. An insufficient covering for shame. What does God do? God looks at them and I can tell He's like, oh jeez. It's over. This is a problem. And He kills an animal to cover them with animal skins. Now there's a whole picture of the gospel and, and, and the need for a blood sacrifice to cover our sin. And I'm not going to go there today, but the fact that we have clothing on recognizes that we know we have shame. I'm not saying we're going to be naked in heaven. I don't know how that's going to go down, but I know that we're going to be shameless. We all have those parts in our life that we don't want others to know about. We all have those thoughts. I know for me, they can especially come late at night. Wake up in the middle of the night. Lord, what's going on? Life's not supposed to be this way. What's happening? And what I can say is that the Bible speaks to that. We can approach the Word of God and I would say that we can uncover ourselves before Him, but you're going to be uncovered. And that might freak you out right now because you're like, wait a second, I've spent a long time trying to hide who I actually am. I spent a long time trying to, trying to create this persona of how my life actually is. I spent a long time trying to hide my sin and shame from others, but the Bible is written to you at the core of who you are. In, 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 5, when it says that Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us, means he took the shame that you and I carry, the sin that you and I carry, 
and took it to the cross and paid for it. And then as we walk around in life trying to figure out, Lord, what am I to do here? How am I to live here? How am I to go about in life? He did not just leave us as some deist would, would leave us and say, figure it out for yourself. No, He offers us instruction and teaching and training. He sees who you truly are and says through His Son, I, I love you and I will save you. And then turns around and says, now here is how you need to live and operate and this is what you need to know. That's what the Bible is. Just, just read again this thing. All Scripture is breathed up by God and is profitable for teaching. It simply just means instruction. Useful information. As we're sitting down, I'm saying, what am I to do? How am I to live? Where, where am I to go? How should I orient my life? What should the rhythms of life be? The Word of God is here for our teaching. For reproof. We don't like this one, but we need this one. Reproof is chastisement and punishment. It'll call you on the carpet. I wish that I could stand up here and go, this book will be the easiest book to read. It'll never, uh, you know, um, even offend you or call you on the carpet or tell you to change. No, this book is going to describe for us. I know it recognizes that we're sinners, but it's also going to say, here's how you should live, not from your sin, but from your righteousness that has been declared to you. This book offers us correction. It literally means to straighten up again. Reformation. It's going to take the broken sinner that we all are, having the grace of God declared upon us. We can read this book now and we can say, this is how I'm supposed to live. Not from my standpoint of sin and darkness and separation from God, but from the righteousness that He has given to me. And then lastly, this book will train us in righteousness. Educate us in the things of God. I'm sorry, but we have a master. We, 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 we are masters in the education of man. We're masters in the education of sin. We're masters in the, in the education of ourself. We know exactly how to live from how our own broken souls want us to live. What the Bible does is it graciously unpacks for us. Here's how God, as His children, desires us and even requires us to live. But look at this last phrase. Look at verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I joke that I have a problem with podcasts because I listen to a lot of them and I read a lot of books. And I do. I do. But the reason I love that podcast and books it's because I like to learn. I like to figure out how to do life better. I like to learn new information. Learn about new subjects. Learn about how I can, new rhythms in my own life that I can make to make my life better. Figure out how to, I mean, you fill in the blank. If you look at my podcast stream, you'd be like, wow, you're into a variety of different things. That's Okay. But when I approach the Scripture and read the Bible, I'm reading something that is inherently true. 
I'm reading something that I can say, I need this, full stop. Those other things, take it, leave it, helpful information, worthless information, that'll be a fun party conversation one day. This, this is what I need. This fills my soul. If I don't have it, I'm lacking. This makes me complete. I was talking about rhythms and resolutions. Maybe you came to this stage of life and this stage of the year and you went, man, something's missing. I'm longing for something. Something in my rhythm is off. It might just be the Word of God. Where's your focus? It's towards the things of God? Is it towards the teaching, towards the correction, towards the, the chastisement? Proof towards the training in righteousness or, or is it towards other things? Because I will promise you, because the Bible promises you, that you read this, you focus on this, you study this, you memorize this, you meditate upon this, and this will make you complete. And it will equip you for every good work. Its intended purpose is to change your life. That's what it just said. Its intended purpose is to change your life. And it will. Because it's not changing your life based upon your power, but God's power. Which is what Hebrews 4 says. It's not you reading it and saying, well, I guess I have to do the work. No, it's you reading it and the Holy Spirit will do the work. Because I said it will fillet you open, lay you bare, and offer you the grace that you so desperately need. That's why I say that I am deeply passionate for you and I to be constantly focused towards the Word of God. Here is what we're going to do. And I want to tell you a story just to set this up. On this same holiday weekend, Amy was also reading a book. So we sound like funny though, just constantly reading stuff. Just, we just read stuff. She was reading a book in the car. We were uh, going on a family vacation. She picked up a book. She was reading and as we're driving five and a half hours, she would, she would um, offer some stories that were in it, and she'd say, hey, you, you should listen to this and read me some lines, and then she would laugh at some ideas, and she would, she would go, man, this is so well written. And this was a book that came highly recommended to her. Her friend said, you've got to read this book. It's, this is a fantastic book. She read the online reviews, and it said, this is a fantastic book. It's like, must read. You've got to do this. And, and so all of the reports were like, I've got to open up this book. It was like the best review Ever. She's like, okay, this thing is not going to disappoint. So she picked it up. She started reading it. She took it in our car ride. She got, I don't know, three, four hours into it. And she, again, as I said, she'd been sharing some stories and ideas and been laughing at some things. And I finally turned to her one day, or at one point as she's on the, on the trip, and she goes, and I asked her, I was like, what's this book about? She went, you know what? I'm 60 pages in. I have no idea. She liked the stories. She liked the one-liners. Very quotable. But she had no idea what the book was about. I had the same experience with the Bible. I grew up in church. Classic church kid. Went to Awana. My mom wanted to hang up those awards on my wall for far too long. I had to hide them from her. Memorized more scripture than... Well, I've, I've memorized a lot and I've forgotten a lot of it. I could recite all the 66 books of the Bible. I'd read through it a couple of times. I went to Bible college. And I, I had classes in both Old Testament and New Testament where I had to read 
each book of the Bible and write a report on it and write what the purpose of the book is and what's it about. I then went to seminary and studied Greek and Hebrew and had more Old Testament and New Testament introduction classes where I had to read the Bible again and write longer explanations of what the book is about. And I got to compile all of those things. And then I became a pastor. And somebody asked me, what's the point of the Bible? And I didn't know. I knew the details. knew the stories. I knew the parts to quote. I could fill up my Instagram page with all of those fancy quote things and put butterflies around it and say, we should memorize this stuff. What's the point of the Bible? It's like, I just gave you the best review ever. You should read this thing. It will change your life. It's powerful. It's profitable. This will make you complete. And yet, if you ask me at the beginning of my pastoral ministry, what's it about? I go, I don't know. And that's because I know something to be true. That while the Bible is all of these things, sometimes we need somebody to walk alongside us and say, hey, here's what you need to point out. Here's what you need to see. Here are the truths that you need to apply. Here's the framework that you need to see the Bible through. So here's what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. We're going to have a Bible 101 series. I want to talk about the, the beauty of the Bible. I want to talk about the people of the Bible. I want to talk about the genres of the Bible. I want to talk about the authors of the Bible. Human authors, obviously there's God. I, I, I want to offer you that framework that I missed for so many years in my life so that when we open up these texts of Scripture, we see more than just the beautiful stories. We quote more than just the quotable verses. But we can see the overarching storyline that will change our life. Really what's compelled me is that if if the name of our church is Community Bible Church, we should be all about the Bible. But frankly, we should know what the Bible means to us and how to use it. And so the coming weeks, it's not going to be this overview. I mean, essentially, you just got my giant book review of why I love the Bible. I could have written it on Amazon. I decided to give you a, 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 a verbal explanation of that. I know this has been a very odd sermon and different sermon for us, but I am excited to unpack this book. Because it changed my life. And it will change yours. And it probably has changed yours. I pray it has changed yours. But I pray that at the end of this, when we walk away from all of the information, we won't walk away with larger heads. We'll walk away with larger hearts saying, Wow, Lord, you loved us enough to give us this information. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have communion as we always do. Lord, thank you that you did not leave us alone and did not leave us in our own stupidity and brokenness. Lord, thank you that you you not only sent your Son to die for us, but that from the very beginning you've been revealing yourself to sinners. That you didn't walk away from us. You could have walked away from Adam and Eve. They deserved it. Because their sin was an offense to you. Your holiness mandated that sin had to be had to be punished and your, your wrath had to be satisfied. And yet, Lord, in your love, you offered us grace. You patiently endured our stupidity and our sin. And you offered us hope you offered us 
I struggle to say, but a lifeline through Christ. You gave us the promise of redemption from the very beginning. And Lord, you give us the promise of consummation now. And so in the same way that we look towards Christ as, as we read the Old Testament, in the same way that we look back on Christ in the Old Testament and see your in, in the New Testament and see your faithfulness, Lord, even now, two thousand years from the cross, with the canon of Scripture complete, Lord, we we interact with your word and we, we, we read it, we memorize it, we study it, we're passionate about it because we know it is our only hope that we have to make it out of this dark and confusing and difficult life. Lord, I just pray this morning as I, I, I pray if there are those who are weary, struggling, questioning which end is up, knowing that the rhythms of life are off. But I pray that they would take this moment and this day to recognize that what they need first and foremost, the rhythm that is most important, is the rhythm of their worship of you, of their communion with you. Lord, I pray that they would be reminded that you are a gracious God. They can't out your grace. They can't even when we are faithless, you are faithful. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use this reminder for them to run to you, for them to have communion with you, for them to be reminded that they are your creatures and they are in desperate need of a relationship with their Creator. Father, thank you for the opportunity as a pastor for me to stand up there and proclaim that, both to these hearers but also to my own heart. Father, thank you for this time and in your son's name. Amen.